You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. So here we are in Mark chapter 11. Mark 11 and Mark 12 are two of my favorite chapters in the book of Mark. I can't wait to preach next week. And I would say I can't wait to preach today, but I've already preached this message once. And I'm probably more excited about preaching it the second time because Mark 11 is just amazing. And I think you'll see in just a moment. You know, recently uh, I came across this idea of a, this phrase that I've never asked what it meant. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you if you know what it means. Does anyone know what it means to take a litmus test or what it is to, to take a litmus test? Raise your hand if you've heard of that before. All right. Now, you may have heard of it, but if you're like me, I heard it, but I didn't really know what it was. So I found my buddy, Kevin Connor. He went to school, you know, for something really smart years ago. <laughs> and I said, hey, Kevin, what's the litmus test? He started telling me, and I'm like, wow, can you put, can you condense that and just text me, text it to me? And so he looked it up in Webster's Dictionary, because Webster's actually smarter than Kevin. And uh, in the 14th century, scientists discovered that litmus, a mixture of colored organic compounds obtained from lichen turns red in acid solutions and blue in alkaline solutions and thus can be used as an acid base indicator everybody ready to say amen thank you preacher what a great biblical truth you know I have no idea what any of that is. We, almost, we did buy some, a litmus test, and we were going to do one on the platform, but then when we discussed it, we thought, let's just read the definition, because I don't know that the actual example will even be as effective as just that. But let me break it down for you, because here's, what's, here's where we get kind of close to home. Six centuries later, people are using litmus tests now figuratively. It can now refer to any single factor that establishes the true character of something or causes it to be assigned to one category or the other. And so today we use the word litmus and we use it regularly sometimes as a fail-safe, proof-positive, evidence kind of test. What is your, you know, what is the test for this? You're trying to determine whether or not something's real. Maybe in your spiritual life. That's what we're going to be discussing this morning. And so, how can I know this is absolutely sure? And so, with that in mind, we're going to discuss a litmus test this morning. What is the greatest litmus test that we could give you this morning that would absolutely determine the genuineness and the vitality of your spiritual life? And I believe this morning... We can come to that conclusion. Now, let's decide maybe some things that's not, because a lot of folks would think maybe it's Bible knowledge. The more I know about the Bible, the more letters I have next to my name means for sure that I am, you know, spiritually vital. It's, it's what I know, and I would disagree, because I know a lot of people that know a lot of Bible. In fact, we talk to them every week when we're out and about talking about Jesus. People tend to know a lot about the Bible, but are not have no spiritual vitality in their lives. Some would say maybe it's character or conduct. I probably thought that for a long time in my younger days as a believer in a certain religious group, that if I live righteously and do right, then I must have a vital relationship with God, right? 
Dot the I, cross the T's, wear this, don't wear that, look like this, don't look like that, and I am on fire for God. Here's the problem with that. I was in that mode for a long time and found out that the majority of people that were dotting those I's and crossing those T's and had all this character and conduct really didn't have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Some would say it's service. Preacher, it's last week's sermon. I know what it is. It's last, you just talked about it. Service. It's like getting busy for God, doing a bunch of things. But what if you do that in the flesh? Because that can happen. I know that at times, you know, I, I've been guilty. Maybe you would know, connect with this as well, that we're doing a lot of things, and they're good things, but we're doing it in our own strength, and so that's not spiritually right. I'm going to tell you what it is this morning. And we're going to look at it in the word. It is prayer. It is the quality of your personal prayer relationship with God that is the greatest litmus test to the vitality of your spiritual life. Now, we're in Mark chapter number 11. And there's a parallel scripture that I want to also present to you this morning by way of video in Matthew chapter number 21. It's not much different, it's just that I was able to kind of connect with this three of four Gospels mention these particular stories that we're going to be looking at this morning, and as a result of these unique series of incidents in the life of Christ, and they are very unique, I want you to see it as a visual. Now, take some time just to look at it, how it kind of took place, it doesn't mean that this is exactly what took place, there's acting involved, there's a drama involved, and... We're working on uh, producing a better sound with videos. We've got some work to do to finish off the sound system. So I apologize if not everybody can hear every single word. But it's scripture. It's somebody reading over the story that I'm about to preach from. So I'm taking two stories, two incidences in the life of Christ. And we're going to break it down. But first, let's just get a deeper look on screen. Jesus entered the temple courts. And drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read... 
From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go! Throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. All right, so take that little visual aid, just a little extra thing this morning, and let's talk about three truths based on those two stories, three truths that determine the litmus test for spiritual power. Let's find how we can prove whether or not we really have this spiritual vitality that prayerfully we all long for. And even maybe we have experienced some of that this morning already. Let's talk about that for just a moment. First of all, number one, the barrenness of prayerlessness is tragic. The barrenness, the coldness, the dryness, the hard-heartedness of Having a prayerless life is very tragic. Look at Mark chapter 11, and let's begin to identify how this is all connected to the subject this morning. Verse 12, on the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. I love that. I love the humanity of Christ displayed here because I don't know how many of you are hungry right now, but if you're hungry, Jesus related to that when he was here. I'm already hungry as well. I'm a foodie. Maybe you are too. I love to eat, and Jesus got hungry. And there we see the humanity of Christ. It's beautiful. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat from you again. And the disciples heard it. Now, this is somewhat of a difficult passage to understand in the Gospels. And there's been... Many different shots at interpreting this in different ways. And we're going to stay very close to the text this morning. Because I think it occurs three or four times in the Gospels. There's an incredible message here from this passage. And it has nothing to do with figs or being hungry. Okay? And that's the first thing we need to identify. It had to do with a picture. Jesus painted pictures with his teachings and his miracles. And there are many things that Jesus did where he was trying to teach something. He was trying to make a statement because everything that Jesus does, he does with a purpose. This was not some random moment that Jesus was just like, oh man, I forgot to eat breakfast. I can't believe this victory has no figs. What's up with this? This is not what we're experiencing here. There's something very specific he's trying to show us. 
And what Jesus did with the fig tree is a picture of what he did in the temple. So I want to skip down to Mark chapter 11 real quickly in verse number 18. Just some introductory thoughts here. In 18 it says, and this was after Christ cleansed the temple. Okay, so notice with me, the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd, pay attention to this, they were astonished at his teaching. And so they plotted to kill him because they were astonished at his teaching. You see, they plotted to destroy Christ. Why? Because his genuine teaching exposed something. It exposed their pathetic, anemic, going through the motions spirituality. The reason why they hated Christ is because every time they got near Christ, he opened up God's word and he challenged them about their relationship with God and they didn't like it. You see, they preferred their religion instead of a genuine, personal, vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 20, if you're looking or on the screen. So they passed by in the morning and they saw the fig tree, the same fig tree, the next morning. It's the very same fig tree, but it was withered away to its roots. Christ's judgment on this fruitless tree was because he had, listen, appearance without reality the tree had an appearance from a distance but in reality it was barren in verse number 13 of mark 11 and seeing you see they looked from a distance they saw something we see things sometimes and we look at them but they aren't what they appear to be as we get closer seeing from a distance A fig tree and leaf, he went to see. There's that word again. If he could find anything on it. The point is that the fig tree at a distance looked healthy. It looked like the kind of fig tree that would have had fruit on it, but it didn't have fruit on it. So he wasn't cursing some dumb random tree. What he was cursing was the situation, what he was upset with, what he was just ticked about was the situation he was about to encounter in the temple where people's lives, what, looked spiritual. It looked like everything was right, but in reality, in their hearts, they were not spiritual. They looked good. They were talking a good game, but they did not have a genuine personal walk with God. That comes from something. It's rooted to something. It's connected to something. A vital relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice notice verse 20 again real quickly where it says it withered away from its root. Just focus in on that for a moment because ultimately, ultimately the problem was not the fact that there was no fruit. It was deep within the soil. It wasn't in what they could see, it's it's in what they could not see. Thus, Jesus said it was withered away from its roots. It was the source of the problem was not the figs. The source of the problem was deeper. And it's always deeper. It's never what it appears to be. The problem wasn't ultimately at the end of the branches. The problem ultimately was deep within the soil. And it's the same way for, for us. The problem is not outward. It's not we need to try harder. It's not we need to look better. The problem is deep within our hearts. 
And in a moment, I believe you're going to see with me that the whole context of this is prayer. This is so common today, especially in church, where we really have this external thing really good. We got it down. I mean, we know how to look the part. I'm not thinking of anyone, honestly, probably thinking of myself as much as anyone. I mean, this is just kind of how we do. We do church. We just know how to do it, you know. And a lot of it has to do with our external appearance. We better put on a good show. We better look good. We better play the part. And we're also tempted to appear to be something that in reality we are not really in our hearts. And Paul described this speaking about the church in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 5 when he said that you have an appearance of godliness. But you're denying the power of And avoid those people. They are religious, but not the spiritual vitality that we're seeking about. Especially when we come to church. We're not looking to become more religious. It's not why we're here. We're not here to to have just form. The goal is that we might have function. That what we do here may make a difference in our lives. It's not going to be a check the box thing. It's going to truly change us from the inside out. So let me say it again, the barrenness of prayerlessness is tragic. The lack of prayer is an indication of a lack of spiritual vitality. And I understand, and I I really do, that, that all of us are not where we need to be in our prayer lives, but I wonder if we would be willing to submit ourselves to this consideration. I wonder if we would just be willing to humble ourselves for the next few moments as we look at these next two thoughts And supporting illustrations and just say, God, I submit to you right now. I'm willing to consider the spiritual vitality of my life and how it's connected to my personal relationship with Jesus through prayer. Number two, the priority of prayerfulness is intense. Super intense. In fact, it is so important, prayer is, in our homes in our church, and in our personal lives. That this is super interesting. But I think it's not even arguable that Jesus places more intensity on the subject of prayer than anything about which he ever spoke. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 15, back to our text. So they came to Jerusalem, right? You saw that. Jesus came into that area. He enters the temple. Remember, he begins to drive out all those who were selling and those who uh, uh, selling and, uh, and those who bought in the temple. He was overturning the tables and the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Jesus had a problem with all of this. His beef with those particular people and what had become a religious marketplace was that those who were supposed to make it easier to get to God were making it harder to get to God. Specifically, Jesus wanted us to know something. Look at the very next verse in verse 16. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Nothing. They had lost their sense of sacredness for the place of worship. And he was teaching them, verse 17, and saying to them, Is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer? But you've made it a den of robbers. So Jesus sees this scene, right? He's in the middle of this scene, and it reminds him of some Old Testament passage. 
The very first statement that he made was found in Jeremiah in chapter number, or rather Isaiah chapter 56 and verse number 7. He was teaching them and saying to them, there it is, excuse me, these I will bring to my holy mountain, Isaiah 56, 7, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar and my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Jesus was taking an Old Testament passage and and quoting Scripture from the Bible in the midst of this chaotic scene. The second phrase comes from the book of Jeremiah in chapter number 7 and verse 11. Has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers? What is a den of robbers? Well, it's a place where thieves go to hide. It's a den, it's a place, it's a, it's a hiding place. Here, you know, I, I rob something, I, I steal from someone, and I have a premeditated place that I'm going to go until things calm down, until people that would catch me are gone, and I can walk out back on the streets and maybe do it again. And then I go back to this place, and I hide. And Jesus was confronting in this story religious people using a place like this place. A place that was dedicated to spiritual vibrancy as a place to hide from spiritual vibrancy. The very thing that it was designed to be, they were using it as a place to hide from it. So this applies to gospel light, doesn't it? It does. Today. Because we are in the place of worship this morning. This is the place. Here we are. And this is the place that's dedicated as a place to provide spiritual vibrancy for our lives. And we all are prone to wander from that in our hearts. Therefore, Sundays become an exciting time for us. Church is a place where week after week after week after week we can be challenged, we can be strengthened, we can be revitalized, re-energized, we can recommit ourselves to not just going through the motions, but to really connect with God in a meaningful way. Amen. And so we're here. And that's the goal. So how can we be guilty then, applying it today to Gospel Light to this Sunday in September of 2020. How can we be guilty of using this place to hide? Like they hid. You've made, my house should be called the house of prayer, but you've made it something it's not. How can we use this place to hide from the spiritual vibrancy for which we have decided is the reason why we come every Sunday? Well, I think first of all, we've got to ask ourselves the question, am I here? To check a box. I mean, I woke up this morning. I was like, oh, it's Sunday. Yep, yeah, guys, get ready. Got to go to church. Uh, I know, I know. It's just an hour. Don't worry. It'll be quick. Sometimes it goes a little long, but it's okay. Well, when should I put the roast in? Well, I mean, we can leave early, honey. Just put it in now. If we need to leave early, it's not a big deal. I mean, you know, we can leave like during the invitation. It's not a big deal, you know. And what if we miss the worship? Well, that's not a big deal. You know, they sing three songs. It's all good. And so we come, we sit in our same spot that we do every week. Because that's, and if we see somebody there, we're like, oh man, what if they know? It's about somebody else. And then we get through with the service and we may shake a hand or two, maybe not, slip out, get to the car, turn the radio on, check. Or, 
Am I truly experiencing God to where it makes a huge difference in my life? To where what I do that next week is changed. It's different. It's it's, it's, it's different. There's something about what God did in my heart as I came for a specific purpose to the place of worship. And God then used that to help me to go out into my community and to be a light in a very dark world. Am I just a religious person coming to church? Or do I have a real, active, vital relationship with God? These are just good questions for us to ask ourselves on a regular basis, including the pastors. We should be asking ourselves... Because when we hear of tragic stories in ministry where, where, where how did that happen, I can assure you it wasn't because the pastor wasn't going through the motions. He was. It was because he was just religious, checking the boxes, going through the motions. And prayerfulness is the litmus test for spiritual vibrancy, for that active, vital relationship that it's prayer prayer's the litmus test for that is that real do we have that that's why mark eleven seventeen says obviously you know what it says we all know what it says it says my house should be called the house of preaching i mean that's what it says and you know it i don't know what version you've got but my version says that so get your right version get it i mean just get it down because this is what we came for the preaching so what this is all about. But you know, I've come to find out something, and I used to say a lot of things about preaching, you know. I used to feel as if everything kind of was determined whether or not I studied enough and I preached good enough and I gave enough illustrations and used to determine whether or not it was a good sermon about who came down to the altar and I put a lot of pressure on myself to perform. To make sure that everything that I did would, you know, and, and you, you kind of, you know, you, you kind of lived for the compliments. Good sermon. And then every now and then, great sermon. Oh, really? Wow. But, you know, never has there been more Bible preaching in this country. Never. There's more preaching today than there's ever been in our country. But never has, there, has it made so little difference in the lives of people. incredible church in every corner preacher in every pulpit my house shall be called a house of preaching it's not what it says but i'll tell you what it does says it says my house should be called a house of worship so maybe you've got that version and that's a good one too i mean i recommend that one that's this spot on isn't it and so what we do is we come and we uh you know we're here to uh, what kind of band you got you know who's playing this week What's the song list? And we look at this, this, this moment that we have in the service to kind of, you know, let's get our worship on, right? And so we tend to, to kind of focus more on, you know, the band, the sound, the coolness of it. And we get connected, big time connected horizontally. Oh, we're loving it. We got the movement going on, and I'm not against the movement. I like it. I think there's emotion involved in music, and I, I think our hands, I'm all for it. But here's my point. Sometimes we get way too connected to our emotions, which only affect our horizontal lives. When the most important part of worship is getting connected vertically to God. Hallelujah. 
sin has lost its grip on me. He's broken every chain. Amen. He, he died on that cross. He, he, he conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the grave. Hallelujah. Is anybody even here right now? It's just me and you, God. And I have come to this place to worship Jesus. Not a band, not a, not a, not a style, not an instrument, not something that's cool. And that's our heart. That is our heart. We don't hit 100%. We're not, we're not hitting a home run every service. We get that. And sometimes we have to, we have to be careful as well. And, 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 and all of that, I get that. But I want you to know this morning, my house should be called the house of preaching. My house should be called the house of worship. It says, my house should be called the house of prayer. One of the greatest things we did this morning was take some time in the service to read a prayer of dedication, a prayer of commitment to Christ, a, a cry of his, our need for him, of our, of our recognition of how awesome he is. We took that time. That probably fulfilled more of that worship segment than anything we could have ever done. Because my house shall be called a house of prayer. Prayer is the most important thing. And prayer is not always public. In fact, we, we've announced public prayer times and they get attended very sparsely. That's just the way it is. I mean, I don't know that that will ever change. And I want to, uh, you know, I think we should have, you know, if we can come to a prayer meeting, we should come. We had three desperation prayer meetings for the men, three desperation prayer meetings for the women. We probably averaged around 15 or 20 for each one of those. And that's not a bad thing. People have different schedules. It's crazy. How can you really determine you know, the spiritual vibrancy of a person or even a church by the number of people that come to the prayer meeting. I mean, I don't know that we can put an emphasis on successful prayer based on how many people come to the public prayer meetings because most prayer in Scripture is not public, it's private. Most prayer. The majority of what we see in the Bible is Jesus encouraging, encouraging us to spend time with Him. It's the truest test of our genuine heart for the Lord. And we can all get to a better place in this. Would you not agree? And so as I talk to people, th- th- there are things that I think kind of get in the way. And what they do is they become common prayer complaints. Pastor, here's why prayer is not really working for me. Number one, because I just can't think of enough stuff to pray about. I mean, I, I, I get there and then I go about a minute. I'm, I'm, I just, I'm like, oh. Well, let me help you with that. Just a small little way to help. How many of you make a grocery list? Raise your hand. You make a grocery list. Be honest. Come on. Thank you. Let me ask it again because I think we got some folks that just... All right. How many of you make a grocery... You you know what I'm talking about. When you've made a grocery list before, raise your hand. All right. Good. Okay. Same first service, same thing. All right. I had like 12 and then I had 100. Okay. So, no, no. It just takes a grocery list. It's difficult. Okay. So, my wife has one. It's on the counter. And as it grows, it grieves me. <laughs> just, I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, I'm hiding it. I'm putting it up. You know, it just keeps getting bigger. And then if Zoe gets a hold of it, it's out of control. It's like he adds to it. I'm like, you see her writing, and then you see his writing. You're like, oh, man, this is, this is great. You know. I mean, in the marriage retreat, didn't help any. Because part of our talk on the way home was, I need more money for the grocery list. That's a true story, too. I'm not lying. She was negotiating, you know. It was awesome. So I'm going I'm to come through. I got to come through. So we got this grocery list. Hey, 
I, there's no way I could remember all of that. I mean, if you went to the grocery store, honey, without that grocery list, I guarantee you, you'd, be, you'd get back in the car, get home and say, Ugh. so why not a prayer list? It's amazing. Just, just, just write it down. Just, it comes to mind. A family comes to mind. By the way, if you're looking for people to be on your prayer list, I, the Capaces, but we're like, if you need more room, if you, got, if you need more names, we'd love to be on your prayer list. It'd be an honor. We need prayer. And so does everyone else in this room. And so we need to make a prayer list. In fact, I was so encouraged last week. I got this text message from a friend, and he just took a picture of his prayer list. And I wouldn't tell you who it was, and I I think he was just trying to encourage me. And it happened to be before this sermon, so I thought, man, God, thank you for that, because I need to share this with our people. So I get this text, and it's basically a prayer list. And it, it just said in the text, I just want you to know, I don't pray for you every day but I pray for you every week. And he took a picture of his list, and it had me on, and other names on his, I think it was like Tuesday prayer list. And I thought, praise God. I mean, I, I just, that's so encouraging. And it's, it was also encouraging that he was honest. He said, look, I can't pray for you every day because I've got so many names on my prayer list. I've got a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday list and a Thursday and a Friday. And I mean, that's just his way of doing things. But it did complement this thought of making a list. So we can remove that prayer complaint. I just can't think of enough stuff to pray about. Prayer complaint number two is, man, my mind, my mind wanders when I pray. Well, let me tell you, that is me right there. Put Eric Capace underneath. If you take a note, just write Pastor Capace right there. I struggle with that. What happens is I start praying in my mind, and I'm going through this list, and then I come to a name and I think, oh, man, I need to text them. I need to text them. So I, I get my phone, and I text them, and then I think, I probably should call them. And then I go to my day timer, and I'm thinking of things. And then before long, I am not even close to getting back in prayer. I've already started my day, man. I'm, I mean, I, that name reminded me I need to do this, that, or the other. I, maybe I felt guilty that I haven't connected. And all of a sudden, I am just off track. That's just one illustration. So what I have to do is pray out loud. So this morning, I wake up super early. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very much a uh, ritualistic. Thank you. You remember from the first service. <laughs> I'm ritualistic on Sunday morning. So I get up. I do the same thing. I mean, nothing changes. Caroline can tell you, get up same time. You know, takes this much time to get ready. Get, that, get out of the house by about 10 till 6 or 6 or right around there. I go to McDonald's on Central Avenue. I get a cup of coffee. Cheap, by the way. Good, cheap coffee. Good stuff, though. Especially in the morning. It's fresh. Get me a cup of coffee. And kind of talk to the same lady every Sunday. Same lady. She's going to be in church one day. Mark her down. Friday, uh, Sunday morning, McDonald's, coffee, lady. I'm working on her. She's, she's talking to me for longer periods of time. Every time I go by, she knows I'm a pastor. Anyway, pray about that, would you? McDonald's lady at the drive-thru on Central. Add that to your prayer list. So, get my coffee. And then I'm, but I'm praying out loud the whole morning. I, and then when I get to church, I drive around the block until I finish. So I feel like, you know, I'm praying for the service. I'm praying for Jordan and the worship team. I'm praying for uh, Troy in the nursery. I'm praying for Nana in the Capaches. I'm praying for Jeremy and Deacon Sims on the first impressions. And I'm just praying and I walk. And then I finally say, you know what? I feel like I've come to that conclusion point. In Jesus' name, amen. Pull up, park, go to my office and study. But I'm going to tell you, it has changed my life to, to uh, avoid wandering. You say, that's just so practical. That's really what you do? Yeah, I mean, these are really big-time prayer complaints. I mean, I don't, I don't want you to have to raise your hand to feel guilty, but I'm raising mine first. My mind wanders when I pray. 
And sometimes it becomes an excuse not to pray. So I pray out loud. Number three, my heart is filled with doubt. And here's what's interesting about that. I don't think you need to feel bad about that. Let me tell you. If I were the devil, and I'm not, praise the Lord. (laughs) But if I were, I really believe I would attack someone at the point of prayer and make them doubt that what they're praying about is even going. That just prioritizes prayer even higher that the devil would attack you in your prayer life and put doubts in your mind that God wouldn't do what he said he would do. And so let's just pray through that as the enemy attacks and, and, and read scripture and, and trust God, but don't feel like you need to stop praying because you really just, you know, I just got doubt in my heart. I understand. Pray through that. Claim scripture. Number four, well, I feel awkward when I pray. Ah, this is a big one because yesterday at the end of the marriage retreat, the pastor, and excuse me, in the, in the, uh, in the, at the end of the split session for the guys, the pastor that was doing the marriage retreat, by the way, which was incredibly successful, amazing time, so thankful I poured into my marriage this weekend. It was a game changer for us. And so we, he says, now guys, I want you to go home, and tonight I want you to look at your wife, and I want you to pray and thank God for her and how God made her in a unique way. And Don't try to change her, just thank God for the way she is. So, you know, we get in bed last night, and it's like awkward, and we're laying there, you know. And I'm not saying I don't pray with my wife. I do pray with my wife, but I was like, I want to get this right, you know. And I'm like, okay. And Hey, honey, uh, hold my hand, and we're going to pray. I said, all right, we ready? Here we go. And a little awkward. You know, I was trying to remember. I wanted to pray a prayer that I really felt like was part of the marriage retreat, and I wanted to connect with that, and so I did. And by the time I got into the prayer, it, it, it wasn't awkward anymore. It was just wonderful. You say, well, pastor, I'm, I can't believe you struggle with that sometimes. Well, I'm, again, can I, can I just be raw and honest that sometimes prayer can be awkward? But man, I tell you, once you start praying, that awkward thing just kind of goes away. I was so thankful a lady came up to me. I'm not going to tell you who it was either, and, and, but I'm proud of her husband because she came up to me on the way to the building. She said, man, I don't know if you did this, Pastor, with Carol Ann, but I hope you did because my husband prayed with me last night, and he said these amazing things. He was thankful for me. He wasn't going to change me. He was glad that God created me the way he did. I love the retreat. She started crying. I'm like, I did too, you know. And I'm thinking, glad I did that, you know. <laughs> Serious conviction on the way over, you know. <laughs> I love it. But you can get past that awkwardness. So let me give you the third one. You ready? We're done. The power. Let's talk about this power. Because prayer is powerful. The power of prayerfulness is faith. And if you'll think back with me to to, to the worship set that we just sang, a lot of what we sang had to do, most of what we sang had to do with trusting God. Because he truly is the only way to pray and the only one to pray to. And he's the only one that we can truly trust with all of our needs. So if you want to plug into your spiritual life, plug into faith. Just plug into it. I mean, if you want to fire up your prayer life, personally, the key is faith. And we've said that faith is this. It's the, here's a good, just a good definition. Got that definition possibly first? There it is. Faith is believing the word of God and acting upon it. Acting up, no matter how we feel, because we know that God promises a good result. 
So faith is believing the word of God. Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and without faith it's impossible to please him. 1 John 5, 4, I love this one. For everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Notice in the text here, Mark chapter 11, verse 23. Let's just jump into this and see where faith kind of comes in. Look at verse 20. So they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said, Rabbi, look! That fig tree that we saw yesterday that you cursed, it's withered. And Jesus answers one thing. He says, have faith in God. I love that response. It wasn't, man, Peter, I can't believe it. You know, withered. I I was really hoping to get a fig from that tree this morning. You know? No, it was a picture. What Christ was saying here is unless you want to be like that fig tree, Peter, withered from its roots, dead, dry, and fruitless, Peter, unless you want to be like that, have faith in God. One of the most incredible promises about prayer is the next verse, verse 23. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, we sang about mountains this morning too in our, in our music, because mountains are what? They're a picture of obstacles, things in the way of getting to God and, and believing God. Here's these huge things that create usually problems to our faith. He says, well, why don't you just say to that mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes in that what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Now, there's some things that doesn't mean. And I want to discuss what it doesn't mean before we discuss what it does mean. Are you ready? So here's what it doesn't mean. Because that's a very misunderstood scripture. It doesn't mean God on demand. Hey, God, I want this. And I want it one day shipping. I love one-day shipping. You've got to pay a little bit more, but hey, God, I want it right away. God is not a vending machine. So this verse is not God on demand. Just pray the prayer of faith, ask God for a miracle, and you shall receive. Anybody ever heard that on TV? Okay, me too. It's not faith in faith. It's not what we're talking about here. It's not having faith in faith. It's not like going to a carnival and taking... Anybody ever been to one of those, like the county fair or something? You take the, the hammer and you hit it and you see how far that light can go up and hopefully ding the bell and get the prize, right? And so what we do is we, you know, we, we put our... I'm, I'm going to get this thing done. I'm going I'm, I'm to... I want the thing. So I'm going I'm to do it hard enough so I can get the thing, the faith, the faith in faith. It's not hitting some sort of a, you know... Uh, a, a bell that we might ring so the bell would ring and we would have what we want it's not just hitting the faith thing it's not a verse that means nothing it means something to us today when we read these stories in scripture it's not like well man that was I wish I just would have been able to see Jesus no listen this is a, a, a picture and it's a good practice for us to, to look at scripture and then Interpret scripture with scripture because this is not the only teaching that Jesus ever did on faith. So I want to take a, a little quote from Wearsby's commentary on this passage of the fig tree when it withered. And I'm a big Warren Wearsby fan and I've read 
uh, dozens of his, of his books, and I just really like the practicality of Wiersbe's teachings. And they just seem to be good for local church reading on the screen. So I want to read you this, and just, it sounds like just we're being, he's teaching us, he's here. Jesus also used the miracle to teach us a lesson on faith. The next morning, when the disciples noticed the dead tree, Jesus said, have faith in God. Meaning, constantly be trusting God. Live in an attitude of dependence on him. Jesus also used this miracle. Wait, are we, okay, thank you. In Jewish imagery, a mountain indicates something strong and immovable. A problem that stands in the way. We can move these mountains only by trusting God. But, of course, this is not the only message Jesus ever gave on prayer. And we must be careful not to isolate it from other scripture. And then Wiersbe gives these two qualifiers. Because sometimes we, we forget that there are things that we need to understand about faith. It's not, as we said, it's not God on demand. It's not faith in faith. It's not a verse that means nothing. But there is some qualifying things we need to understand. So here it is. Number one, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 says, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything, and here it is, here's the qualifier. Number one, according to his will. He hears us. And so this kind of qualifies Mark chapter, uh, qualifies Mark chapter 11, verse 23, and what we learned in that passage. That it's not God do this because I believe you can. It's God do what you desire to do. I trust you, God. I want what you want. Pray according to his will. And then John 15, 7 was Wiersbe's second qualifier. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you wish and it will be done to you. Answered prayer comes from an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't be walking in sin and doing your own thing for weeks, months, and years and expect your prayers to be answered. In other words, the genuine, fervent, faithfully answered prayer comes out of a dynamic, regular walk with God so that the very things that I ask for are the things that are already on God's heart. I'm praying according to his will. And I'm asking for things that are already on his heart. So how do I pray in the will of God? What is on God's heart? God, bring back my son. My wayward son. God, bring him back to you, Father. Oh, God, work in his life, work in his heart. Don't let him stray forever. God, please, we pray, touch him, bring him back. That's the will of God. Your son is on God's heart. God, heal my marriage. God, heal my marriage. I went to the marriage retreat this weekend, and I went to hear from heaven, and you sent the preacher, and he preached the word, and God, make a difference in my marriage. Oh, God, may my heart, my wife and I's heart be knit together in spiritual things. God, help me to have a humble heart towards my spouse. You know what you just prayed? The will of God. That's the heart of God, for you to have a humble heart towards your wife. That's on God's heart. God, give me wisdom regarding my financial, my finances. 
Father, give me wisdom how to handle my finances, how to make sure I'm giving what you want me to give, and I'm, I'm saving, and I'm, I'm, I'm spending, and I'm, I'm working to get out of debt. God, just, I need wisdom. I, I've done this thing far too long by myself, and I've just piled up debt, and, and God, I just need you, and there's not enough money at the end of the month, but Father, I know that you own the cattle on the thousand hills, and I'm going to be obedient and trust you, God, with, with what I need. God, I trust you. Your financial needs are on the heart of God. Pray according to his will. And when we begin to pray passionately, by faith, according to God's will, you can be confident then that it will be done. And then Jesus gives one final qualifier. And I want to point it out to you as we close. Mark 11, verse 24. One final qualifier is this. Verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So there it is again. Whatever you ask, believe and you'll receive it. It'll be yours. And whenever you stand praying, by the way, there's no right posture in prayer. God looks on the heart, amen? But you can stand in prayer, you can kneel in prayer, but when you stand in prayer, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, I read that years ago and I thought, man, God, there's not a lot of wiggle room there. (laughs) There's just not. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And I'm convinced that one of the major reasons why we don't have spiritual vitality is because we have bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts. I'm I'm just very convinced of that as I pastor, and the longer I pastor, and the more I'm done wrong, and I have to forgive, and it's multiple times somebody does something to me to hurt me, and I have to say, you know what? I am going to forgive them of the debt that I received when they injured my feelings or injured my family. I've got to forgive them of that. Because forgiveness is choosing to treat the person as though it never happened. Not pretend it didn't happen. Not pretend it did not happen. But choose to forgive them as though it never happened. Now verse 26 is hard. In fact, it's, 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 it's worthy of a little 60-second explanation. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. Now let me say this. That's not talking about a a one-time offense. I mean, good night. How many of you have not forgiven someone? Yeah, I have. I mean, I've, I've dealt with it. And by the way, sometimes for days and weeks. And it was awful. And I'm going to tell you, bitterness comes from the dumpster of life. It just corrupts you. It doesn't hurt the container. It doesn't hurt the person you're bitter against. It hurts the person the bitterness is in. I've been there for weeks. Can I confess to you, there's probably been a couple of instances where maybe even it went months. But I'm going to tell you this. If it goes a year or more, If the character of your life is is unforgiveness and bitterness, then you are not saved. You're not saved. 
And I think sometimes we need to just stop and either respond to this message and forgive and get it under the blood and say, God, I'm going to release that person. Or maybe it's, God, am I truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Because I'm just not forgiving for years and, I, and, and multiple people. I want to say this morning, I don't think there's anybody that can walk through the doors of this church that I could not give a hug to right now in this, on this planet. And I want to keep it that way. It's not easy. So let me ask you three questions. And let's, let's respond because this is the most important part of the service. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive this morning? Could be something from last week, last month, maybe a year ago. Maybe something you just haven't dealt with. Who do you need to release from the obligation that they have because they hurt you? You need to let it go. What area of your life is lacking spiritual vitality? Can you identify? What, what is it? What area is it? Just lacking spiritual vitality. I'm just not, I, I, I just sense that in my life, this particular area needs, needs help. Pray. Pray. That is how you'll get that situation taken care of. Whatever area it is, pray about it. My marriage needed help. I went to a marriage retreat, but can I tell you what is healing my marriage? What is helping my marriage? And I say that only because Mar- Caroline and I are doing great. We have a great marriage, but, but if we think we're there and didn't need what we got last weekend, we're the fools. Do you know how many marriages that have gone 32 years explode in a moment's time because somebody thought they were okay? So what I need to do is pray for Caroline. If I want my marriage to be better, if I don't have the spiritual vitality with my wife and I, I just need to pray. I need to go to God. God, fix me. God, help me to love my wife like you love the church. I guarantee if I do that, Caroline's going to respond to that. My marriage is going to be healed. Pray about it. And then number three, where am I going to, where am I going through the motions? Where am I just, is it church? Is it, is it the worship time? I mean, am I just kind of, I'm there checking the boxes. I actually read my Bible last week, preacher every day. And I just, you know, couldn't wait to check the box. And I, I don't know what, the, where did you read from? I don't remember. I honestly, I don't pay attention. I'm just trying to read it because, you know, and, and maybe that's better than nothing, but not much better. Why don't we just choose maybe to read less of the word and meditate on smaller portions of the word so we can really connect with God. So ask yourself those questions and then respond because we have come to a part of the service that's not like just, okay, we're almost done. No, this is it. This is where you have a chance to identify what in this message was it that God was trying to reveal to you that you need to pray about. Maybe it it could be at the altar. It could be with an elder. It could be someone needs to be saved. It could be that someone needs to just come and pray with their spouse or a dad and a son or a mom and a daughter. Or it could be that you need to just stand and worship or sit and pray or kneel in your seat. We're not here to keep score. Trust me. We want you to do what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do, whether that's here or out there or whatever. But respond. Don't waste this. Use it to help you to have the spiritual vitality that God intended you to have. We need that fire in our hearts again. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for this opportunity to share God's word. Father, have faith in God is what you told those disciples. God, you were so upset that, Lord, the place of worship had been turned into something that it wasn't intended to be. A place where we were hiding from the very thing that, Lord, you intended this service to be. God, may we just open our hearts and allow these closing moments to be powerful, meaningful, and life-changing. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?